0: So we are up to Parshat Kitisa. In the middle of the Parsha, we have one of the more significant events that takes place in the Torah, certainly in the Book of Shemot. And those of us who haven't guessed it, don't identify it. We don't see it. yet. So that is the sin of the golden calf. And you know, we could be three thousand years later, and there's still going to be questions that are going to be, emerge as far as you know, how is this possible? How does this happen? What were they thinking? And the reality is most likely the question is more profound than that. Because I think at least in some point in our brain, we're saying to ourselves that we perhaps can have doubts or maybe real doubts, perhaps fleeting doubts, doubts that come, doubts that go. But still, if only we were to have some kind of a stronger evidence so, if only we were to have some kind of confirmation, then we would know for sure. So, you know, think about this generation. They had confirmation, aside from, aside from the ten plagues, and aside from the splitting of the sea, and aside from the revelation that took place at Sinai. I mean, how, how much more? <coughs> do you really need until you get to this point that you know that this is actually true and correct and God exists and God gave them the Torah. And and by the way, the other thing which I really like is what they had for breakfast that morning, which means mun falls from heaven. God gives them mun, And they're, and, and they're chewing on their mun sandwiches as they are getting ready to make the golden calf. So I'm just saying the whole thing sounds so absurd. But there is actually... I think a something positive that could be taken out of this and I would say that we know that we know that there's something which is called free choice or free will and it's very important. Essentially all of reward and punishment is built upon the assumption that we have the ability of making choices. So the downside of having all of those experiences Again, the plagues, the splitting of the sea, the, the revelation at Sinai, and especially the revelation at Sinai, eating man for breakfast and dinner, the downside of all of that is that they know for sure, they see that God exists, they, they, they see the hand of God, they have this experience of God, so it's at that point you would, you would then have to flip and go the other way and say, well, then what is the significance of their adherence to God? Which means, meaning, that's not impressive at all. Let's just say these people say, oh, you know what, we're going to start eating kosher now. Of course you're going to start keeping kosher now, aside from the fact that you're getting money coming from heaven, which is accounting for, I would assume, most of your food. I mean, to get non-kosher food, you'd have to work a little bit harder. In Israel as well. You know, you have to work a little bit harder. And I'm not saying you can't do it. You can do it if you try. But it's a little harder to get non-kosher food. It's very easy. What? What? It's very easy in other places. But let's just say that somebody sees, has this experience of, of God at Sinai, a serotity brought, and says, you know what? I think I'm going to start keeping kosher. I'm going to take that upon me. Like, like, what are you talking about? Which is what I would not have thought that they had the ability of moving away from that kind of, of behavior. So that's the, that is really the good side of the golden calf. And presumably then, this is the downside of the golden calf, the part that we don't like as much, It's evidence that they had free choice, but in order for them to have free choice, God had to give them this great Yetzer Hara in order to be able to ignore all of the other things which they had seen and experienced. So now you realize that there's a downside to having that kind of confirmation. The downside of the confirmation is is now God has to give you some counter to that, that confirmation to have the ability to still be able to make choices. And now perhaps we can look at this generation and say, oh, I get it. You know, they mess up here, there, and the other place. Why do they mess up? Because they seem to have this incredible desire of self-destructing because they need now to be able to have free choice after all of the things that they were blessed with. So I'm just saying is that life is a little more complicated. And I, as much as you could look at the golden calf sin as a challenge theologically, I think quite the opposite. I think on a theological level, it's actually very comforting to know that they were able to do this and then... We can then discern that all kinds of other things that they do are based upon their own volition, their own choices, and they actually have the ability of either adhering to God or ignoring God. And I'll say it again: I think that that itself is uh, is is very good. So let's now continue, or if you want, begin. The people, and again, all the time, pay attention. This is, this is. Just full disclosure, more of a Bamidbar concern, because there's lots and lots of rebellions around Bamidbar. Always pay attention to how the people are described as. Over here it's the Am. The Am is a collective. It means with, Am, with, Im. The collective. It doesn't say B'nai Israel, which then opens the door for people to say, oh, it's the Erev Rav. And let's be honest, it's always good to have Erev Rav around that you can blame for everything, right? We all need much more Erev Rav in our lives, what happened to the car? It was the heir of Rav What happened to your room? It was the heir of Rav, right? Who made the mess? It was the heir of Rav. Try it. your parents may fall for it. it's great. And until the day that they figure out that you are actually the heir of Rav, then it's, uh, then it's very bad. and the people see that Moshe has delayed in coming down from the mountain. Now th- there is actually a possible assumption here. Did they know did they have a schedule? Did they have calendars? Right? Did they just know? Oh, Moshe is supposed to come down exactly now. You can fill in the blank: x amount of days, or did they have no idea when he's coming down? And just in terms of their sensibility, this has taken too too long. Now, one of the things you, you could say is, okay, Moshe went, and how much supplies did he take? Did he take supplies for a day, a week, a month? Meaning, he's already gone by this point around forty days. On the one hand, if you're worried about his not finding food. He's going up to the Mun Factory. Presumably you can get samples up on the Mun Factory and that's not a problem. On the other hand, um, we can also postulate, but this is only knowing afterwards that Moshe doesn't eat and doesn't drink while he's there because that's the custom, that's the minhag. You always follow the local custom, which is actually what the Midrash says about this, is that when the angels came down, they, by Avram they ate, even though the angels don't need to eat because that's the local custom. When Moshe goes up to heaven, he doesn't eat because that's the local custom. But nonetheless... A person alone in the desert for all this time and climbs up a mountain and now he doesn't come down. So, again, the objective evidence is he's not here. The word he uses is delay. Same word used, ha'am. They gather al-aharon. Now, the, I, I note what I feel is violence in that description. Again, vayikahal ha'am al-aharon. The people gather upon Aharon, and it, it just sounds, again, a little violent the way that it's described, because it sounds like intimidation, it sounds like they're standing on top of his head. And they said to him, which is also interesting, because what they could have said is, what should we do? They could have asked a question. Okay, we're, fe- we're feeling very alone, we're feeling very afraid, we're feel- feeling very isolated, we're feeling very vulnerable. All of those things are, are, are fair to say, but instead, going together with the act of violence, they say to him, which is great, they're giving Aaron orders now. And if you don't remember, back in chapter 24 towards the end, God says, maybe I have it a little low, lower down here, God, God says to the people, That if you have any issues, then go and speak to Aaron and Hur. And, you know, let them work out your issues. Over here, rather, they they come to Aaron. Hur becomes a mystery. And they say as follows. V'yomorilov, kum, get up, ase lanu Elohim. They don't even say please, which is not nice at all. One of the sins of the golden calf, therefore, is that they didn't say please who will go in front of us, Kizem Moshe Ha'ish, because the man Moshe, merits and Loyadanu because the man Moshe took us out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So, so let's break it down. Let's, let's break down the Pasuk. And, and all of that was this long run on sentence of Pasuk Allah. The people see that Moshe has delayed in coming down. The people gather on Moshe and they say to him, Get up come i say leno elohim make for us a god that will go in front of us so that's interesting because you presumably need God for all kinds of things and for all the things that they need God for they are saying one that can go in front of us which sounds like a leader they need a leader they need something that's going to which by the way you can have all kinds of other things that can go in front of you you, you can also have a tour guide who can lead the way be the first one you know to point the, the way so it's really interesting what they say they say make for us a God that will go in front of us why? Kizeh Moshe Ha'ish, and I hope that you can't miss that word Ha'ish, that Moshe, the man, there is this emphasis on the man, so therefore make for us a God because the man is missing. So right then I'm going to pause again and ask another question. Is this really ultimately a rebellion against Moshe, or is this ultimately a rebellion against God? which means, what is the sin of the golden calf? And, and by the way, if you start looking in the Rishonim, you'll find those who will go one way, those who will go the other way. If you need names attached to this, the Ibn Ezra and the Kuzari, who very much want to minimize the sin, so they claim that this was only an attempt to replace Moshe, much less an, an attempt to replace God. But there's still an interesting turn of phrase, because on the one hand, they knock Moshe down by, by emphasizing ha'ish Moshe. And, and again, I want to pause. Because that's really interesting. That we seem to never have gone over to that place where we turn Moshe into something more than a person. And there could have been every reason to do this. And we all know that there are religions that can turn their prophets into something more than just a prophet. But we never, we never went there. And over here, quite the opposite. Part of the sin is that they are emphasizing the man Moshe. I'll, I'll tell you as an aside, something which I had heard, actually something I read in an article years and years ago. There was a psychiatrist who worked in this psychiatric hospital in Jerusalem. So I presume all of you at some point have heard of something which is called Jerusalem syndrome, where people come to Jerusalem and go crazy, right? You don't have to go to yeshiva or seminary to do this. You can just uh, be a visitor and people go crazy. But the various Jews that go crazy, and this guy said this is like across the board, the Jews have Jerusalem syndrome and then they think that they're the Messiah, the Mashiach. Christians or non-Jews who come to Jerusalem and have, get Jerusalem, they think they're God. So even a crazy Jew knows he's not God. I mean, I think that's great. There's, there's a limit to our insanity. We, we, we go crazy, so we think we're Mashiach. But we, we we don't go that far into thinking that we're God. So over here as well, that you have this, <coughs> this attack against Moshe, and then you have this diminishing Moshe, Moshe Ha'ish. When you say Moshe Ha'ish, then what do you saying? You're saying that Moshe is Ish. But now here's the problem. If Moshe is just an Ish, why not replace Moshe with another Ish, or Isha, for our feminist friends over here? Let's just replace him. So by saying that, let's make for us a God for Moshe the man, so that seems to be, again, it's hard to move away from this, that seems to be an attack against monotheism. The monotheism is very frustrating, right? We believe in one God that we can't see, we can't feel, we can't touch, we can't embrace, we can't bribe. Wouldn't it be better to have something which is much more tangible, something that we can somehow relate to in a way which is much more real? But but it's interesting. Let's replace Moshe with a god. Because, but now add the other thing, because on the one hand, they diminished Moshe, Moshe Ha'ish, Asher LaNemerit Zetrayim, and they just gave Moshe the credit for taking us out of Egypt. I mean, didn't they read the Haggadah? Right, I guess they haven't celebrated Pesach yet. It's, and that's one of the things that we emphasize. And, and by the way, I'll tell you a secret about that phrase. That phrase isn't true if you look at the entire process of the plagues. It is true regarding the 10th plague. Tenth plague we didn't do, Moshe didn't do, Aaron didn't do, the tenth plague God did, and it was the tenth plague that took us out of Egypt, and that was the Makkah Bechorot. So therefore, the line is true, but it, but we, I think in our minds sometimes, we we think in the whole Pesach story, there's no one else. Of course there's somebody. There's Moshe from the very beginning, and then there's Moshe, and there's Aaron. And they are involved in all kinds of things, namely the Makot. But when you get to the tenth Makkah, the one which Paro actually gives in on, so that was... No no messenger, no emissary. God himself did that. But it's interesting that they say, Kizeh Moshe Ha'ish, so on the one hand diminishing him, right, he's just a man, <coughs> compared to this God they want. Asher to try him that took us out of Egypt. Lo Mehayalo. We don't know what happened to him. And it's the we don't know, which is really interesting. And I am not going to go into that, this this time this year, there are other years that I spent the whole time on that word, yodanu, and I'll just say this about it, that part of the sin <coughs> therefore would be that they think they have a right to know. Right? We have the right to know. Well, maybe there are things that we can know and things that we can't know. Maybe there is this other side that not all information is uh, knowable by us. I will, of course, point out two other things. One is that the first sin that takes place is that we also try to get to knowledge that we should not have gotten to. And we go and we partake of a tree, right? And Eitz hadat tov We We go and try to partake from a tree and apparently to be able to get to knowledge of good and evil. So it's very difficult for me to separate these two things. And the other thing, of course, is Purim is coming up and then we know that the objective of Purim is to get to the point that we know that we don't know and know that we can't know, but you have to do that by drinking, and that's adaloyadah. That you drink until you don't know, so therefore, the now you see how Purim can actually, with with its drunkenness, but with its drunkenness and confusion and so on, actually may serve as some way, some kind of a tikkun regarding both this, and that's why it's also interesting that by Purim we say kibu kimu mashu, kiblu mashu, sorry kimu masha kiblu kfar, that somehow Purim is connected to matan Torah as well, including lifting up the mountain and so on. So this whole verse. They see that Moshe is delayed, which resu- which actually assumes some kind of knowledge. They think they know when he should have arrived, and that knowledge is not necessarily there. So, therefore, the whole problem takes place is because they think they know that which they actually don't know. And then they, at the same time, do this magical thing of putting Moshe down and lifting Moshe up. Moshe is just a person, but he took us out of Egypt. Um, I mean... Do you remember Anochi, like it's one of the Ten Commandments? What does it say in Anochi, like I am God, who took you out of Egypt? So don't they know the Ten Commandments? Which goes back to my point, that these people heard God speak the Ten Commandments at Sinai, so therefore they should know this, and look at that. They have the ability of ignoring the very things. And what's the Second Commandment? Don't make any graven images. So what do they do? Real quick, what do they do? By this point already, what do they do? They've kind of messed up the first two of the Ten Commandments. That's pretty good. That's not, that's not bad for one verse. And uh, I'm not sure if you right, already have messed up two of them, but we have a little while to come back to. Yomer Alehem Aaron. Now Aaron, again, in my mind, there is this mob coming at you. It's very bad when mobs come at you. We, none of us like this. Yes? Vayomer Alehem Aaron. And Aaron says to them, Now I want you all to appreciate how brilliant this is, what Aaron says. Oh, why don't you bring me the gold earrings in your wives' ears and your sons and daughters. Any sons who want to make some assumptions right now, which are very good assumptions, can go ahead and do it. And uh, I, I hope that you all realize that the men are going to come home and say to their wives, Oh, Aaron said we should give you your golden earrings. So what are the women going to say? By the way, I, I don't care right now if they believe in God, they don't believe in God, they're good, they're bad. What are, you, don't have to go, you don't have to work that hard. What are the, what are the women going to say? He, he says, remove them of VLA. So I hope you all recognize, and Rashi points this out, that this is what we would call a stalling tactic, a delay tactic, that actually it's pretty good because you have this mob who attacks him. And they're ordering them what to do. So he says, sure, go to your wives. You may, you could be tough and tell Aaron what to do. Now go to your wife and ask for the earrings. And the next thing that you know is that a bunch of beat up men are going to uh, not show up the next day. Right? I mean, that's basically the end of this. And I would assume that that's what Aaron is thinking. Meaning you could be tough when you're talking to Aaron, but go tell you, ask your wife for her golden earrings. It's not happening. But So it's interesting because the word am is used over here. It's the same am that was used initially. I would actually, therefore, be very tempted to say as follows, that everybody had earrings, the men and the women and the boys and the girls. And over here, I would say that they all brought all of their gold. And whether the wives were involved or not, or the women were involved or not, I, I'm going to leave that open right now. I, I think that some of you know that there are midrashic approaches that say that the women were not involved. I, I do want to embrace that approach. And if you're telling me, you hold it. But it's easier to say, everybody, called ha'am. Yeah, but it's also the same am which we had seen previously, vayar ha'am Moshe, and it's Vay ha'am aron. And therefore, I'd be very tempted to say that the people ended up saying that the only way to give gold is to give all of their own gold, and they do that. But Yikach Adam, He takes it from their hands. V'yatsar oto bacheret, v'yasehu ego masecha. So the word v'yasehu is interesting in terms of the dikduk. You can go and ask your uh, Olpan teachers what the word v'yasehu means. Who did this? V'yomru, and they say, Eila Elohecha Yisrael, Asher harlucha meiratz Israel. Here is your God, Israel, who took you out of the land of Egypt. Now, I hope that you recognize, I hope that you realize the absurdity of what we just now read. On the one hand, on the one hand, they say, Moshe, who took us out of Egypt. Now, they make a golden calf, and they point to the golden calf and say, oh, this is the God that took us out of Egypt. So, how in the world can a rational person say this? So, my quick answer to that is, I have no idea. My My... my more involved answer is that obviously things are a little bit deeper than we see, but it really is disturbing because there there seems to be not only embracing idolatry, but embracing idolatry to a level that they're ascribing to this idol that they just now made, and saying, oh, this is what took us out of Egypt, so you kind of wonder how in the world they could possibly have said, had said this. Yeah, I, I accept every word that you said, and there still must be more to it in terms of their own Again, if you were to tell me that in Egypt they worship calves, and calves, you know, so that, again, we're missing something, and I agree, not only are they not used to God, they're probably much more used to things like this, Mm -hmm. and therefore it's very easy for them to go and to embrace this, and say, oh, this took us out of Egypt. Okay, that's, right, right, yes. But this doesn't necessarily take us to that next space of how they can say this right now. Okay, look, I'll help you. I don't want to help you. I, I, I didn't want to do this at all. The Ramban goes in the direction of saying is that they had an epiphany at the sea where they saw the Merkava, and one of the faces of the Merkava is a is a cow, and the leg that they, that, that sees by the Merkava is the leg of a calf. So it could be that they had some kind of a mystical vision when they looked up during the splitting of the sea and they see something which in their minds is like a calf, which means that there is something there in their minds, which of course then moves our problem. Why would God have done this to them and given them this ability to move in that direction? Anyway, let's just continue a little bit more. We only have two more verses in the sin. Vayar and the people see, Pasek hei. Va'yar Aaron, and Aaron sees what now has happened, which means now the people are ascribing these powers to this calf. Va'yiven mizbeach lefanav, and he builds. I Meaning, this is part of what was Aaron's sin along the way here. One is he tells them to bring their wives' gold, right? And then, as far as who did what, va'yatsar oto is a very interesting turn of phrase as far as who actually. <laughs> who actually made that golden calf, and I think it's worthwhile discussing, but I'm not interested today. Rather, what Aaron does when he sees now what's going on, that they have ascribed these powers to this calf, Vayar Aaron, Vayiv Mizbeach. Now, that's something Aaron does. You can't move away from that. Vayiv in Mizbeach, he builds a Mizbeach, but he does something else also. What does he say? Vayikra Aaron, Aaron calls out and declares, Vayomar, Chag Hashem, It will be a celebration, a holiday for God tomorrow. Now, he did two things that are interesting. One thing that he did is that he again did his second delay tactic. So essentially, Aaron does two delays along the way, which means that Aaron... Essentially, knows that Moshe is coming and knows that we have to kill some time and therefore bring me all the jewelry and subsequently, okay, he builds him his bayach tomorrow, which means this is important, this is significant, we have to get ready we got to get up in the morning, you got to put on your Yom Tov clothing and, you ha- and so on that this is going to be, but the other thing is that he says, which actually will tell you 100% where Aaron is in all of this what do they say from the beginning? Leno Elohim what do they say afterwards? Elo Elohech Yisrael what does Aaron say? Chag Hashem machar. And Hashem is already different. Hashem is not, is not uh, Elohim. Hashem is Yudke. Vavke, that is a statement of this, of this God that you can't see, you can't feel, you can't touch. It's a God who transcends, God who's outside of time, space, and matter. So therefore, Aaron shifts it and talks about the God who is the God that he believes in. And he says it will be a celebration for God tomorrow. By the way, the next day when they, when Moshe comes back, according to tradition, was which day? It was the 17th day of, of Tammuz. 17th day of Tammuz for us is a fast day. One of the things, one of the things it says in the Navi Zechariah is that the fast of the 4th and the 5th and the 7th and the 10th, so the fast of the 4th is Tammuz, will become days of celebration. So therefore, Aaron's saying that, the question is, is this literally tomorrow, or is this going to be far in the future? But again, there is this interesting knowledge in Aaron's part, no, we will serve, we will serve God tomorrow. And now all the people channel their Avraham and they get up early in the morning. And they bring burnt offerings, and they bring peace offerings ha'am and the people then sit down to eat, vishatu, and they drink, The and they make merry, kamul Rashi is going to tell us that kamul is Gilead rayot, that some kind of an orgy breaks out at the foot of the mountain. They're eating and they're drinking, and there is another backstory that the Gemara tells us, which if you're already going to make it bad. So let's add on to it. In, in source number two, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord God, to try him. And right, so they yes, they just now broke the first two commandments. So again, I hope that you see that really clearly because it's, it's hard to move away from that. The Gemara in Sanhedrin in source four says. Upligad Rabbi Tanhum Bar Chanilai, the Amor Rabbi Tanhum Bar Chanilai, lo nemer k'ze elokineged masa egel. Shenemar v'yar Arun v'yiven is be'echlof anav. this Arun sees. So what does he see? So as I was translating it, what did I say? He sees that they declare that this is the God that took us out of Egypt. The Gemara makes it more ominous because when, as I said before, when, when the people. Sorry, when Moshe goes up the mountain, this is source five, And he said to the elders, wait here till we, till we come back. Aaron and Hur are here. Whoever has any issues should approach them. So l- let's just remember for a second. We actually have four people who were named. Who are the four people? Moshe, Yoshua, Aaron, and Hur. Do these four people have a common denominator or commonality to them? And the answer, of course, and that's number six. And that is by Melchem Etam Aleik. Which, by the way, Malik is really interesting to compare. First of all, just remember, Yoshua is going to fight below, and Moshe is going to be up on the top of the mountain praying, and Aaron and Chor are going to be the two supporting. Who Chor is, hold on to this for a second, because it's going to get more interesting. But one of the things that Moshe then says, the truth is the people were acting very much in an Amalek kind of way or in an asaph kind of way. Asaph is somebody who always needed immediate gratification. Asaph is going to sell his future for a bowl of chilen today. Which means Asav is a really interesting, or Uncle Asav, as the case may be, is really interesting because the way that we always deal with Asav and Amalek and and all all the time is by delaying gratification because it drives him crazy. Machar tomorrow, Aesop, Amalek's wanting to fight, so he'll fight with you tomorrow. So it's really interesting that Aaron goes back to this episode, right? But, but there's somebody missing which means Moshe and Yeshua are up, Moshe's all at the mountain, Yeshua accompanied him part of the way. Aaron is the one below who they're attacking, so where's Hur? Which actually becomes really the question, because Moshe said, if you have a problem, go, go to Aaron and Hor and they'll take care of it. But, but before that, one more thing. Moshe, obviously, is from Shevet Levi, and therefore his brother, Aaron, is from Shevet Levi. Yes, Yeshua comes from Yosef, and Yosef has this ability of being the ones to fight Against Amalek, generally Esav of Amalek, and Hor, he's our last one. What tribe is Hor from? So that's interesting. Hor is from Yehuda. Hor actually has a really famous grandson who was already mentioned in in the parasha and that is Betzalel. Betzalel ben Ori ben Hor, the Mate Yehuda. So I don't know if you realize this, that the guy who's building the Mishkan is Chor's grandson, which all of this is taking us to an interesting place that we still need to contend with. And so what happens to Chor? So that lacuna, which means essentially, Moshe says, aren't Chor in charge? And we never hear from Chor again. We hear about Chor during the war against Amalek, and he's there. Moshe's, now you can can go any way you want. Moshe's right-hand man or Moshe's left-hand man. Can we go a little bit deeper right now? His grandson is going to build a Beit Hamikdash, so therefore, and he's from Yehuda. So therefore, what is Chor a prototype, and why is he there? So essentially, that's really the issue. If you remember back in Bereshit, the very, very end of Bereshit, Parshat VaYechi, there we had that Yaakov coronated one of the tribes and says that you, that you will be the people, the, the people, the Malchut will come from you. That Yaakov says kingship will come from the tribe of Yehuda, which essentially means that you have Moshe Rabbeinu, the Navi of all the Naviim, who's up on the top of the mountain. His right and left hand man is the man who will be the Kohen Gadol, right, Aaron, on one side, and on the other side is the man who will be king, and that's Khor, which means Khor is the future king. What do you call, okay, David HaMelech comes from Yehuda. What is, who, who's David's son? Shlomo. What does Shlomo's son do? He builds the Beit HaMikdash. So who is who is Chor? He is this parallel to David HaMelech, and just like David's son, or Ben David, We'll build the Beit HaMikdash. Here you have the grandson of Hor is building the Mishkan in Betzalel. So I'm just saying, just look at this larger picture which is taking place. And all of this now goes back. So what happens to Hor? And that's what the Gemara tries to answer. The Gemara again, source number four. It says, Vayar Aaron sees and he builds a mizbeach. Mara'ah. What is it that he had seen? Amar Rabbi Yamin bar Yefet. Amar Rabbi Elazar. Ra'a? He saw Chor, the word Zavuach is, is actually really strong. The word Zavuach is he sees Khor who is slaughtered in front of him. They, 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 they shechted him. Zavuach means they shechted him. They slaughtered him. Later on, one of the things that will bring about the of the Beit HaMikdash, is the murder of a prophet called Zachariah. Zachariah warned them that if they don't change their ways, then the Beta HaMikdash will be destroyed. And uh, what did they do? They killed him in the Beta HaMikdash. The prototype for this problem is actually the murder of, of Chor. She'zavuach So essentially what happened here? The people come to Chor and they say, make for us a God, Moshe's not here. And what does Chor say? Chor says, over oh, my dead body. What do they say? Sure, no problem. And what happens? They kill Ford. So, so just realize now—they killed a man who's a prophet. We'll see more of that, that in a second. They killed a man who is Moshe's right-hand man. They, they killed the man who should be king or would be king, was supposed to be king. They killed the prototype of Malchut Beit David, which never gets off on a start, because what happens when a leader tells you something you don't want to hear, then you just replace the leader and saying instead of saying to yourselves, well, maybe, just maybe, perhaps it's possible that he knows what he's talking about. Chor says no. And then, again, this is what Aaron sees. Amar, now Aaron says, If I don't listen to them, They will do to me what they did to Chor. And the verse will be fulfilled, fulfilled. And notice, this is a verse from Echa, which refers to the murder of Zechariah. That you murdered in the temple a kohen and a navi, and over here essentially the kohen and the navi is Aaron is the kohen and the navi is Chur and if, and if I reject they will have fulfilled this verse in Echa, and we all know how Echa works out not in, not in a wonderful way havaya l'ahu and they will never be able to be for, forgiven. Mutav, it's better, to it's better to serve a calf, which means essentially, according to the Gemara, Aaron does an equation, better than them murdering me as well, and murdering all their leaders, it is better for me to make this calf, because you can get forgiven for making golden calves, but killing a prophet and killing a Kohen, is something which is completely horrific. So, You know, what we're up to right now, we we have our own, again, clearly, clearly, I don't have to force this, clearly in delight tactic, and we have a dead whore, by the way, now now if you follow, according to Rashi, what sins are they guilty of? They're they're guilty of idolatry, murder, and sexual sins, which means that's the trifecta. That's pretty good for the for the golden calf, according to Chazal, encapsulate all three major sins right there, foot of the mountain at Sinai. Remember, I told you that we need to see, we need to be happy because they have free will. Damn, do they have free will? This is great because they can do every single indiscretion imaginable, and all of this is happening right here by the by the foot of the mountain. So again, this is so great that the people have free will, and some of you are going to think that I'm being facetious, and <coughs> and perhaps I am, but um. Th- th- this is again all extremely troubling. Seven, I gave you a bunch of rashis about the confusion and the satan, and again, it all comes back to this point of the free will. <coughs> Rashi points out that the right here on top of the bed when he asks for the jewelry, Shami Takev, <speaking> he was looking for you know delaying things, and Lit Chotam, again, he's trying to delay them. So this what I said before about the delay tactic, Rashi is clearly going in that direction. Um, again he's just pushing them off and eventually they come so therefore and Rashi points out so the guilty of idolatry sexual sins murder right the holy trinity they got them all good Chapter 106 in Tehillim is a good chapter. When I say it's a good chapter, it's a good chapter to know. It's not one of these chapters of Tehillim that people are going to read when somebody is sick because it's too long. But it's a really interesting chapter because it tells over the story of what took place in the desert. Over here it says, And they were jealous of Moshe in the camp, and to Aaron, the Holy One of God. Tiftach eretz datan, aladat Aviram, and then the and then the earth opened up and swallowed datan, and it swa- swallowed the community of Aviram. Now th- that if we don't recognize that's Parsha Korach, datan Aviram and Korach. So it's interesting that that all is mentioned right here. But datam la Tilahit fire comes out swallows the wicked. And then, Yaseyu Egel B'chorev. Now, most likely, this is not in sequence, but it really is interesting that these things are placed next to one another. I'm going to come back to this and explain the connection. Yaseu Egel B'chorev. They made an Egel at Chorev, Mount Sinai, and they bowed down to a golden image. Yamiru et k'vodam, they exchanged their honor v'tavnit shor o'chel esev. For the image of a bull that eats grass, so yes, yeah, David Amelech is making fun of them. What is he making fun of them? That they exchanged the eternal God for the image—not even a real cow, by the way—the image of a cow. Shachahu el Moshiyam. They forgot about the God who delivered salvation, Oseg who did these incredible things in Egypt. So when I framed it in saying, "How are they doing this sin?" and "How are they saying Elo Eloch Yisrael?" David is right there with me, yes? Nifla'ot eretz nor'ot al-Yam They forgot the wonderful things he did in the land of Cham, which is Mitzrayim, and the, and the wonders that are done in Egypt. Vayom Moshe amad And now the back story of all of this, and God was willing to destroy all of them, had it not been for Moshe. chamato who calmed God's anger from destruction so this section over here and I'm going to say it again it really is interesting to read this entire parak to Hilim but it juxtaposes the, the story of Datanavir now part of the Datanavir story is the rejection of Moshe and Aaron the way they're talking to Aaron is not the way that any of us would have would have expected am, am I correct on that? I mean, I started in the very beginning they say to Aaron, Kum, get up and do this for us what are you talking about? This is Aaron. How are you talking to Aaron like this? Moshe, okay, Moshe's not here, right? Like, Mo's not here, let's move on. Like, like what are you talking about? So therefore, the rejection of Moshe and Aaron, or the, but, but it's interesting, like nehu, jealousy is the word which is used, and that actually may, may mean something else. Now, when I started and I said that they diminished Moshe, Moshe's just a guy, the Gemara is going to take this so much further and so much more crazy that essentially we're not going to know what to do with ourselves. I'm just saying, it's at this point we say, okay, there's, no, there's nothing left to say because this is just too crazy, which means Moshe should be somebody who's absolutely venerated, okay? I don't know if there's a better word, respected. Aaron should be somebody who's respected, to be able to, to be in the proximity of the two of them should be something which is incredible. But instead, Moshe's gone. Moshe, the guy, he, he's gone. Moshe's replaced by a calf. Again, now you could decide, are, there, are they rejecting Moshe or God? And the answer, of course, is both. They rejected Moshe, and they pushed him aside. Now, it's interesting that they use the word jealousy. Now, jealousy is what you go back to the Dutton of Aviran story. So essentially, what David and Melech is telling us is that the story of Dathan of Aviran, which is, is jealousy of Moshe, there is an element of all of that over here as well. And I'm going to say something which will sound absurd, so give me a second. Um, why don't they like Moshe? What's the answer? Because he's too Jewish. This is a, this is like clant, clat. Sorry, this is classic anti-Semitism. Why don't they like the Jews? Because we're Jewish. Why don't they like Moshe? Because he's Jewish. Now I'm I, I'm going somewhere with all of this. What do Jews do for the world? Well, essentially, if you take if you had a pagan world, pagan world was great. Yes, a lot of you go to college next year. You'll experience the pagan world. It is a wonderful place. The, what happens in the pagan world? Well, essentially, anything that you want. That's the pagan world. And what does, what happened once God gives a Torah to the Jews and then prox- and then afterwards it gets to non-Jews and it gets to Christianity and to Islam. So what what is it that we gave the world? We gave the world guilt. Which means beforehand there's no guilt. Why there's no guilt? Because you can do whatever you want. So there's no guilt. If you're more powerful then go ahead. The powerful abuse the less powerful. That's what the world was. I have a secret for you. It's what the world still is unfortunately because we still are extremely pagan. But what What Judaism gives the world is guilt and say, no, we could be better. We could be so much better. And therefore, they hate us for making them feel guilty. And they hate us when we don't live up to those standards. And they hate us for being Jewish. So I'm going to say this again. Why do they hate Moshe? Because he's Jewish. Who's the one who gives gives guilt to the world? It's Moshe who's the one who brings down the Torah. It's Moshe who's the one who gives the people this kinds of a concept. If there's no more Moshe, now you can kind of do whatever you want. And the evidence you can do whatever you want is the way the Gemara actually describes it by them doing whatever they want. As soon as Moshe's gone, they can murder and they can, and they can be involved in uh, idolatry and sexual... They can just... You know, it's open season. You can do whatever you want. And therefore, this the, the juxtaposition over here... Of the rejection of Moshe and Aaron and the sin of the golden calf is interesting even if it is not chronologically correct because conceptually it's telling something which is similar and all this leads me to the Gemara because I told you the Gemara is just crazy you just say that's it, it's over there's nothing more to talk about because there's a limit to how crazy you can be or apparently not now the Gemara is going to start Right? This is subtle, and everybody misses this. Okay, You're going to be the ones not to miss it. You know why? Because I'm not going to let you miss it. But everybody misses what I'm about to show you. We're going back to the Korach story, Doth and Vavira. If you don't remember, Korach is Moshe's family. He's his first cousin. Korach gets up and says, Hold it, why are you in charge? And we're not sure. Is he attacking God or is he attacking Moshe? Is he attacking Aaron? Which, by the way, is pretty similar to the golden calf because we're not exactly sure who's being attacked. And that's part of what's taking place. A whole bunch of people the most special people, people who knew all kinds of things, men of renown, and Moshe heard what they had said, and Moshe fell on his face, what did Moshe hear? Rumors went around that Moshe was guilty of sleeping around and, and seducing people's wives. Essentially, it turned Moshe into rescuing By the way, of all the crimes, right, you can accuse Moshe of? Yeah, that's 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 Moshe. That's Moshe. Which, by the way, goes back to the wonderful power of lashon hara. The crazier it is, the better off you are saying it. Because you want to destroy somebody's reputation, you can do anything. But by the way, do, do you realize how great this is? It's only great, I mean, because it's so bad. It is so bad that they're walking around saying, Oh, yeah, Moshe, Moshe? yeah, he's, he's guilty of, uh, of fornication with everybody and anyone and so on and so forth. And, w- w- which means, Moshe Ha'ish, I want to go back a second, Moshe Ha'ish. Yeah, he's just a guy full of lust and so on and so forth. Even though I'm going to say it again, this is a different story. You'll see now, as it says, So which verse does it quote? It quotes the verse that we just now saw in Tehillim. Yes, in terms of our methodology, one of the things that we always pay attention to Is what verse are they quoting, what verse are they using? It uses the verse over there and says that they were jealous of. Now the word jealous is interesting because it's actually coming from a different place, and I'll show you where in a second. That every single one warned their wives to stay away from that Moshe character, because I don't trust Moshe. And that's the word kineh is jealousy as used in Parshat Naso which we will see in a second and then it says shenemar <speaking in Hebrew> as it says ohel <speaking in Hebrew> vnatalo moshe therefore took his tent and moved out of the community now any of you remember that verse about moshe moving away moshe took his tent and he moved away from the rest of the jewish people yeah look where it is shmot periklamim gimel where shmot periklamim gimel so i'll give you a hint where were we when we started today we were in Shmot Lamed Bet which means the story of Moshe moving out of the community is Parak Lamed Gimel why does Moshe move away because all of the husbands are telling or are, are saying oh we don't, we, we don't trust our wives with Moshe because Moshe is this evil man so again that story is in source number 10 I'm, I'm not going to read much more of it. Just it's there. The Datanavir and Korach story is here, obviously in Parsha Korach, Peric Prior to this, in Source Eleven, which is Parsha Naso, is it talks about a person who has jealousy, Avar Ruach When a person has this crazy demonic jealousy, what do you do? And this is actually the portion of Sota. So now, I know that this is coming out of nowhere. But what's important to me right now is for you to know, know why we did go here. First of all, we had a pasuk in, we had a verse in Tehillim. And the verse in Tehillim used this idea that they were jealous of Moshe, and that's the and Aviran story. Second, what happened is, the Gemara uses that jealous of Moshe story in order to say, oh yeah, all the husbands were, were they, they had this crazy ruach kin'ah, and they warned their wives not to be near Moshe. And then what does it say? Then Moshe lifts up his tents and moves out of town. Moshe moves away because he doesn't want to break, you know, this sense of, he doesn't want to ruin all the marriages of all the people, so he just picks up and moves away. So there's a couple of things that I want you to note. One is again this is sota. Sota doesn't mean a woman is guilty of anything. What does a sota mean? A sota means that a husband has crazy jealousy and now we have to somehow deal with that. So what is it that you do? So one is I'm not going to go through the whole thing. One of them is that you you bring an offering which is made out of barley, which is really interesting. It's the minchat kinaot, minchat zikaron, maskarat avon. V'lakacha kach pasuk yedzayin ma'im Kedoshim, bichli chares u'min ha afar asher bekarke hamishvon yikach hakohen v'natan al ma'im. You take the you take from the the dirt on the floor of the of the beit ha or the mishkan and you put it with the water and then vermita kohen at the ishal if hashem it's rosha isha and you uncover. The woman's hair. And this is this this mincha, this offering of knaot, or offering barley. By the way, there is only one other offering that deals with barley, and that is going to be the Korban Omer, which is actually during the fifty days between Pesach and Shavuot, which means between which may be more connected to here than I'm letting on, but just leave that for now because that's not our interest let's instead go to v'hishka ishat, right? It's or arim, you give her to drink from this. And if, she, and if she's innocent, then nothing happens in that proof, which means the default is that she's fine. But if she blows up, which means you need a miracle to take place in order to, to ascribe guilt, right? v'hishka etamayim, v'nafla yurecha, and then it says that her that her thighs then somehow collapse. I, I, the reason I bolded these words, Yurecha and v'hishka etamayim, and the other one there. And you're going to take the, the afarin. You're going to mix it with the water. Why am I doing all of this? And why did I just now lose you in the last five minutes? Because I wanted you, you to notice something. I want you to notice something. Source number 12 takes me back to Paraklamit Bek. When Osha comes down, he sees them celebrating, right? And he sees the, the dancing, and the. it's a party, it's a rave. No, people are having a good time. By the way, here comes Moshe, ruins the good time. It's not nice. And Moshe takes the luchot, and he throws them down, and he breaks them by the foot of the mountain. And he takes this golden calf, and he makes it into, into when it, it, it's so thin, And then he puts it with water and he makes them drink it. I hope you realize that these were all the same words that were used in terms of the sotah, process which w- had just now taken place. I'll explain more in a second. Moshe goes and he asks Aaron what took place, and Aaron tells him the story. And then look at Pasa Hafei, look at the word which is used. Vayar Moshe ta'am ki paruahu, ki paru aharon. Same word used as uncovering the hair. By the way, uncovering mean make the hair wild. That's what technically it actually means. So he says, these people were wild. They were in a frenzy. These people were crazy. So it's really interesting that the woman who is suspected of acting in a wild, frenzied way, you uncover her hair and you make it wild and frenzied. And over here, in the whole story of the Eagle, you have the same description which is taking place. Moshe then calls Kobane Levi, by the way, presumably including his cousin Korach. And then he says go and take the the sword from your thigh or pull out the sword and go around killing all the people that were guilty. Now, I've said enough about this. I don't want to go into more details about this, but I do want to say as follows. There is a correlation between cheating on God and cheating on one spouse. Now, I didn't say what you think I just now said. I didn't say that everybody who sins against God automatically means that they sin on their spouse. I said there's a correlation. Where do I see the correlation? In a really surprising place. It's based on source fourteen and fifteen. Fourteen won't do anything for you. It's um, it's, it's a verse in Shir Hashirim. afarim to omeitz v'yat this actually is the, is the verse that in the Arts Girl translation, they translate it figuratively, not literally, and people make fun of them, but it talks about the, the lover and his beloved, and it describes her in a way that would not work in most yeshivas today, and it talks about her breasts, Shnei Shaddaiyach, and so on. Rashi says, oh, Shnei Shaddaiyach, on the one hand, it's the two things that give us sustenance, that's Moshe and Aaron. And you're going to say, what? Like Moshe and Aaron, where did that come from? By the way, it gets better. Rashi then quotes a wonderful midrash and he tells us that the 10 commandments are like two breasts. And what he's saying is to imagine that the 10 commandments are what give us sustenance, but then he quotes this teaching that if you and, and again I'm not going to do it all for you now, but he goes if you really want to understand the depth, you take the first 5 and you take the second 5 and read them across. So the first one is anokhi, I'm glad to get it right, right? And the and the 6th one is and the 6th one is not to murder. So why shouldn't you murder? What does it say back in Berei Sheperik Vav? It says, Right? Why? That why should we not murder? Because man is in the image of God. I am God, don't murder. I am God, don't murder. Actually, you read them across and they're connected. People are in the image of God. All of humanity is in the image of God and therefore murdering is wrong. But again, how did this just now happen? Because I read them across. What's the second one? Not to serve other gods not to make graven images, and what happens in your cross, you read not to commit adultery. So therefore, cheating on, that's what I said before, that there's a correlation between cheating on God and cheating on one's spouse, and those happen when you read them across. So there's a lot more you can say about this, but what I'm really getting at is that there apparently is, this is not midrashic what I'm telling you right now, but I did not explain it enough yet, there's a really interesting subtext of the whole eagle story which is within the story of cheating, Sota is staring at us. By the way, it's quite the opposite. It's as if you would then say that the practice of Sota of taking from the, you take from the text and then you turn it into kind of sorry, and, and you dust and you take from the dust to earth and you take the water and you put it together and she drinks it. All of that sounds like it's borrowed from what happens right after, from the golden calf scenario. And including the language, "kiparua," the people are wild, and make her hair wild, I'm just saying linguistically, and the thigh was in both of those stories, and it could be if I'd spent a little more time or actually used AI, I would find more of them, but this is just for my looking myself and, and, and noticing all of these connections. It's very clear to me that it's connected, but now I wanted to go back, because there's, there's three parts to this. There is the story of the Sota. there is the golden calf, but there was also the Datan and Aviran story, right? So we just have all, all three of those things, and first let's now go to Moshe leaving, taking his tent outside, and that's source 13. There's no Mishkin yet. Moshe has a place of meaning. And anybody who had questions, now, that itself is interesting in and of itself. But this is the context that the Gemara said, oh, Moshe moved away. He moved away after the golden calf. He didn't like this neighbor anymore. Jews, hard to live with them. What, what did the Gemara say was the subtext? Oh, because they all accuse Moshe of cheating. So now you realize that cheating. By the way, what's the perfect thing to do? That these people are just now guilty of cheating on God. Now you accuse Moshe of cheating on, on, in terms of adultery. So, what's the, so what's the, you don't understand the correlation yet. What's the, it has to be right here, because this is when Moshe moves. But, but hold it, he heard it over there, why are they bringing in this first? What's the connection? So I'll show you exactly what the connection is, and that's where it gets scary. Okay? We didn't get scary yet. So Moshe moves away, but there's a couple other things here that we need to pay attention to. People all looking right at Moshe as Moshe goes by. Is there anything else about that? Right. They look. But we'll come to more about this in a second. Panim. And God spoke to Moshe, which is Ha'ish Moshe. Yeah, Ha'ish Moshe, who God speaks to directly. And it's during this whole section that we're going to find that Moshe is going to be praying more and asking for more, and God is going to reveal himself. And at the end, it will say, you can see my back, you can't see my face. and, And Moshe is apparently on a much higher level than the people... Understand, but they just say ha'ish Moshe. Okay, I'm, I'm just saying this whole chapter 33 is a lot more interesting. Moshe's away, the people can only glance at Moshe from the back, and and Moshe glances at God. So there's a really interesting parallel then, which is taking place. So let's now just add in a couple of things, and then I think I will be able to make sense of this. And I want to answer Orly's question. Um, one there is also, you know, just like in our story, there's a missing guy. Chor goes missing. Where's Chor? In the story of Dath and Avirin, there's a guy who goes missing. Again, really interesting parallel. Who goes missing? On. If you look in the very beginning, source 10, V'ikach Khorach ben Yitzhar ben Kahat ben Leviva datan Ben b'nei Va On, ben Pelaf Ben On never is mentioned again. Dut and Avirin and Khorach all mention what happens to them. On disappeared. So what in the world happened to On? And it's at this point then you'll realize again that that there is, I talked about a holy trinity, now there's a trinity of texts with all come together from different parts. So we will move to source number 16. Vaon ben whatever happened to him? Why is he called On? He spent the rest of his life in mourning. Ben Pelet? Pelet is from the word Plaot. Ben Shinasu bo Plaot. Incredible miracles, wonders happened to him. Omer um, Rav, Rav said, On ben Peled ishto hitzalto, his wife saved him. By the way, it's really interesting because Rav himself, now is not the time, but Rav himself had a difficult marriage. So, But he says, oh, his wife saved him. But Omrile, um, she said to him, Ma lach bahade His wife said to him, On, On, you're an idiot. What do you have to do with this argument? I Aaron kahana rabba. At Talmida. If Aaron's going to be in charge, you're going to be subservient. If Korah is going become the Kohen Gadol, At You're going to be subservient. There's nothing to do with you. You have nothing to gain from this whole story. Why are you getting yourself involved? She says, I know everyone's holy. Everyone's holy. Everyone stood at Sinai. Ma'avarit. What did she do? How did she solve the problem? Ashkite Chamra. Vagnite Baarsa. She gave him to drink and she put him to bed. Right? A very good wife. She got him drunk and she put him in bed. Inu. A wise woman builds her home. Zoe Still she'll own. Resu and a stupid woman, and so on. Just one second. I skipped. Sorry, I skipped. Hava yotva. I skipped the line. Sorry. Hava yotva ababa. Let's do, do that again. My Avda She came to drink. V'agnite and she put him to sleep. V'hava yotva ababa. And she then went to the door. He ubarta. He she together with her daughter Visatra lemazia. And she undid her hair bala anybody who came by come to collect own when they saw her as soon as they saw her uncovered hair they ran away so do you realize what it was just now thrown in the middle of the Korach story what was thrown in there a woman uncovering her hair where is a woman uncovering her hair a, a, a topic in the whole story of in the whole story of sota so, so I have to slow down a little bit here because we're, we're going to be missing something. These people who rebelled against Moshe were so holy that they would not look at a woman's hair was uncovered but were willing to reject Moshe Rabbeinu. I hope that you love that. The people with the golden calf thought Moshe was, they thought so little of Moshe, right? Oh, just Moshe the guy who took us out of Egypt and they willing to replace him. Meaning, when you want to get rid of Moshe, you can say all kinds of things, and you can think that you're so much holier than him. Now, over here, this woman uncovered her hair, and I said, wow, that's really interesting, because the whole Psalter story seems to be staring at us. If you go a couple lines later in the same Midrash, i um Rabbi Yonatan... Right I'm sorry I'm my it's the same teaching that we saw in the Gamara. Veishma Moshe three lines in the bottom. Amashma Omer bishma Omer Bernachmani Omer meyonatan melamim shefasdu beishadish. They accuse Moshe of eating and they accuse him of making. Um shwo yitzkar Gamrav melametch kol achat kinel istom Moshe. Every single person had warned their wives against Moshe because Moshe is so dangerous. Now again I'm a little afraid that I lost you. Should I be afraid or no? Should I be afraid that I lost you or no? No, good. I'm just a little afraid. So I'll I'll tell you what's missing. And And I actually put it out there for you, and I kind of skipped it over because nobody bothered. Orly was a little bit. She almost got there. What is it that happened over here? If you look at source 18, if you look at source 18, okay so the, we, we know about them they're good they are good women and they were zionists in that generation the women were careful and the men, men and men were terrible and it says and here's the source give the women the gold from your wives the women refused and they yelled to their husbands, Shanim, The women were not guilty for the sins of the eagle, they were not sin- guilty of the sins of the spies. So now, can I just put together what we're missing? Why was it that the men accused Moshe of having all kinds of control over these women for this answer? Of course, the women didn't sin. Because the women didn't sin, the men who are a little twisted, and sometimes men are, they turned it into something sexual. What control does Moshe have over these women that they refuse to give their gold, they refuse to be a part of it? Oh, it must be that Moshe has some kind of sexual control over them. So the next thing so instead of saying the obvious, and the obvious is they stood by Sinai and they accepted the Word of God and they accepted the Torah and they accepted that there's one God and then and you don't worship other things, instead, what did they do? They turned this into something which was evil and something which is sordid, and the fact the woman didn't sin is really suspicious. So, by the way, do you notice how great this is? Because we keep coming back to the same point. They can't accept the holiness of Moshe. They'd rather take a golden calf. They can't accept that their wives are holy, so they'd rather accuse them of having some kind of, of an affair. They're, again, analogous. They are cheating on God, so therefore other people must be cheating as well, and therefore all vows are of no value, and who's the guy to blame for all of our problems? The Jew, Right? The Jew. And who's the best Jew to blame? Moshe. Because Moshe is the best Jew that there is. Which means this, this really is anti-Semitism which is being played out. And is the best anti-Semitism. Because who's doing it? The Jews are doing it. And they're accusing the Jew, Moshe, who's the holiest person of every single sin. And I just want to now go to the end of the Parsha because I love the end of the Parsha. And now we're in Parikh Lamed Daled, right? We went from Lamed Bet to Lamed Gimel and now we're at Lamed Dalid. And it says, and after 40... This is when Moshe goes up the second time, and he gets forgiveness, and he brings down the new Luchot. Moshe is there for 40 days and 40 nights. And Moshe is able to get from God to give us a new, new Luchot, even though the first ones are broken. And the, and the broken ones are very important because sometimes that's who we connect to. We connect to broken luchot, right? I mean, sometimes there's something very broken and Moshe gets new ones. And Moshe doesn't know that he has a glow about him. So I want to stress something, because this is a visual interpretation, which I imagine, and I I think this is absolutely 100% correct. Can you imagine, this is a spring day, this all happens in the spring, early summer, late spring, and they build a golden calf, and the morning comes and the sun rises, and the sun is shining off of that golden calf, and the golden calf now is so bright you can't even look at it, because the sun is hitting the calf. So now Moshe comes down from the mountain, and what happens? Now Moshe, they can't look at him because Moshe is too bright. And by the way, there is a Rashi. I didn't bring this. I should have. There is a Rashi. You know, I think it's in Sefania or something like that, like the last place you're looking for a Rashi that says that Moshe's glow is the Karan R, is that he looks like the sun. Uh, you, you know, like the thing about Michelangelo that Moshe has horns. He actually says, yeah, Moshe has horns, but it's Kranayim horns, as, as not as horns but as rays. There are rays of light coming after Moshe because Moshe is so bright. And really what I'm asking you then to do is what I think is obvious is to create a visual connection between Moshe and the golden calf. They get rid of Moshe because Moshe is just Moshe and the golden calf, look at the golden calf, look at it shine in that morning light and the golden calf is so holy and now the golden calf is gone. They were forced to drink the remains of the golden calf. The golden calf has, you know, completely disappeared. And the whole process of any time somebody's going to be suspicious of a wife, I'm saying that's what's so interesting, that that is all going to be based off of the golden calf. Because that's what the Gemara did. The Gemara took that into they can cheat in terms of that relationship with God. And there is this correlation between cheating on God and cheating, and cheating on a spouse. And it takes it to that place. And now Moshe comes down and Moshe glows. And what happens? And now Moshe, who the whole story begins, oh, he's just Mo, right? Just Moshe. Moshe, just that guy, Moshe Aish. And now they're afraid to come near him. And then at the very end of the story, Moshe has to put this mask upon him. Again, getting back to Purim again. Moshe. Vishiv Moshe to the very love, And Moshe had to keep this on because Moshe was too holy. So therefore the whole thing begins with Moshe just being Moshe ish and the story ends, which they're realizing how holy Moshe is. It begins with this calf which glistens in, 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 in the sun, and now Moshe they realize has this glow about him. So again, I can't help make that comparison between the golden calf and Moshe, and therefore they essentially incredibly underestimated Moshe's holiness. They thought Moshe is just another guy. Not only that, they turned Moshe into somebody which is wicked, which is really a wonderful example of projection, is that whatever sins they're guilty of, rejecting God, now again breaking their vows of anokhi and so on, and now they're assuming that other people broke vows. Instead of seeing somebody Like And and Moshe, for his part, moves away. And and, and that part, which is interesting, because they look at Moshe's back, they can't see Moshe's front, they can only see his back. And that's become clearer as this all comes out. So Moshe can only see God's back, and they can only see Moshe's back. Which means, essentially, the only way that they can get near God is through Moshe, again, on on, on a certain level, because everybody can approach God. But I'm saying, the, the sin of the golden calf, what I was trying to point out, again, you could have just read that Gemara or that Midrash. Oh, they accuse Moshe of uh, of, of, of cheating with all their wives. And he say to yourself, where in the world does that come from? So I try to show you linguistically how it's part of the sin of the golden calf and how all of those words and concepts are there. And then all that we really need to do afterwards was to put all of the pieces together. So essentially, Moshe's too holy. Moshe gives them guilt. Moshe gives them responsibility. Moshe's too Jewish. And they're... And therefore, the wonderful anti-Semitism which takes place over here is to say Moshe's not so holy. That's one thing that anti-Semites do. They're not so good. They're not so holy. And then they're too holy. They're not holy. They're this and they're that. So essentially, we know that we could never really Win, but what we can be is try to be as authentic as we possibly can. And maybe there was nobody who was more authentic than Moshe. The sad part of the story is, you know, people always complain there's a lack of leadership. You know, when there's a lack of leadership? When you have Moshe, Rabbe- they had Moshe Rabbeinu. I don't, I don't even know how to say this. They had Moshe Rabbeinu. Yeah, no, he's just another guy. Which of course, there's no good. You had a guy like Khor, the man who should be king, like the prototype of David and Melech. Oh, yeah, we don't like what he's saying, so you kill him. They slaughter him. Yeah, there's a problem with leadership. When you go ahead, and kill the leaders that you don't have. And Aaron, you threatened his life until Aaron tries to figure a way. How can I be a good leader and minimize the sins that they're going to do? And he even sacrifices himself along the way in order to try to defend these people. Yeah, we never have good leaders except for the unbelievable leaders that we had over here in this story. And as I said, is that once we started reading it, I think that there's just a lot more here, including this idea that the people just all accuse Moshe, because why not? <laughs> You know, Moshe is capable of every single sin. Instead of saying Moshe is the holiest person and the greatest prophet and somebody who literally can bring the word of God down into this world, the problem is when when Moshe brings the God down, the word of God down to this world, we don't always seem to like it.